The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Why do you plant a garden? Or why do you have fruit trees in your yard or vines or whatever it may be? Because you want to use them, right? You want them to produce and become fruitful. But it takes quite a bit of time and effort and energy to, to pour yourself into a garden or an orchard or maybe just one tree or one plant and, and ensure that it has everything it needs. You've got to weed it, you've got to tend it, you take care of it, make sure it has water, sunlight, whatever it may be. And when we give so much of ourselves to something like that, we want to see results. And it's sort of frustrating when there's no fruit. That's the point, right? Well, last week we learned in 2 Peter that God has poured himself into us. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through Christ, he has given us generously of his power, of his promises. We've escaped the corruption of this world. We even share in his divine nature. And now, God desires us to be fruitful. And much of that fruitfulness has to do with the kind of character that develops in our lives. This morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5-8, through 8, we're going to see this list of spiritual traits that should describe us. And as we learn about these characteristics, ask yourself, am I producing these fruits for the one who has given so much to me? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 connects back with verse 3 and 4 and the fact that God through Christ has generously given unto us his power and his promises. But God's great gifts do not remove all responsibility from us moving forward. In fact, in a way, it creates some. This phrase, and beside this, that begins verse 5. Some of you have a translation that says, for this very reason. The connection there is that since God has worked in our lives so much, verse 3 and 4, then we need a, de a desire within us to grow and be more fruitful in our service for Him. So for this very reason, since God did what he did, 
we should desire to be more fruitful for him. And you know that's going to require some effort on your part. It requires, notice, giving all diligence. Some of you have a translation that says make every effort. This is actually the only place in the New Testament where this word giving is used, or your translation may say make. It's not the common word for give, and it's not that large-handed formal word that we saw last week of God giving us of his promises and his power. It's neither one of those words. But this word literally has the idea of bringing something else to the table. It's bringing something additional, contributing something to what's already there. We had a fellowship lunch last week, right? And I apologize bringing up food. But when you brought your dish, unless you were the very first person that came, there was already some food laid out. And so you brought forth something additional and laid it there. You, you brought your own contribution to the meal. Well, what Peter's saying here is that God has already supplied everything we need for life and godliness, but there is still something we must bring to the table now. There's something that we must contribute, and that is all diligence. That refers to maximum effort. It means 100%. It's your absolute best holding nothing back. When I think of that sort of determination and effort, it makes me think of an Olympic athlete. If you want to be in the Olympics, you cannot hold anything back. Those men and women empty themselves to be the very best they can be at whatever sport they're training in. They train severely, they eat strictly, they even sacrifice time away from their families and friends. Some of them give every ounce of what they have for four years for one race that lasts 10 seconds. That's dedication. That's what it is to give all diligence. And I hope that that describes us in a lot of different areas in our life. Doing anything half-heartedly is not biblical. We've already seen through our study in Proverbs on Wednesday nights, laziness is shameful. Hopefully you do your very best at school, at your job, with your hobbies and your talents, at your home, wherever it may be and whatever you're doing. But do you give your maximum effort into growing as a Christian? Do you spend time in prayer? Do you spend time in God's word? Do you spend time coming to church and worshiping with others? Do you bring any intensity to the table? Even though God has already given us everything we need, that does not mean that we are lifeless puppets with no responsibilities. There needs to be this beautiful cooperation between you and God. 
It's what Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 2, and I made reference to this scripture last week when Paul said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God has already worked it in. Our responsibility is to work it out, to bring it to the surface. We've got an obligation to give our very best to God. Be thankful that he didn't withhold his very best from you. Or maybe think about it this way. We should take our growth as seriously as God took our birth. And that's not meant to be a prideful thing. There's no bragging on our part, even if our character is developed. And the reason is because our effort is still secondary to the grace of God. Remember, the whole basis of why we're even giving all diligence is because verse 3 and 4 are true. Because God has already given us everything. If that weren't true, our own efforts don't matter. I read from John 15 earlier. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way you can produce fruit is in Christ. Since verse 3 and 4 are already true, then our efforts do matter. But not for our glory or our arrogance, but for God's glory. I read one author who made a, a really fascinating point in verse 5 about the word giving or the word make. And he mentioned that sometimes that word was used for smuggling. You think, uh-oh, are we, are we doing something wrong here then? No, he's not talking about that. It's not used negatively here. But maybe the point is that smugglers don't announce to you when they're smuggling. And so this author said, perhaps the implication is that they must bring in this diligence quietly and without ostentatious display. So when you're pouring yourself into growing for God, you don't have to let everyone else know you're doing it. You don't have to be that guy at the gym who screams as loud as he can when he's lifting weights so that, man, look at that guy. He's working hard. He's strong. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. You can give maximum effort humbly, quietly. And that may go a long way in ensuring that when there is fruit, God gets the credit for it and not you. So we must bring our own diligence alongside the amazing gifts of God. And then Peter gives us a command in verse 5 to add. It's not a math class here, but to add, add to your faith. Obviously, the importance of faith cannot be overstated, can it? The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. One author said, faith is the seedbed out of which Christian character grows. Faith's the starting point. It's, it's where the race begins when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But we shouldn't just stand still then. 
We need to add to our faith. And this is a command. This is not a suggestion or an option. Peter only gives seven commands in this entire letter. Only seven. This is the very first one. Other translations use words like supplement or supply here. That may be the word you're looking at. And those are good translations because the idea of this word, there's almost this idea that all these characteristics listed just sort of pile upon one another. That these features enhance one another and they work together. And we see that in the list. But we are to supplement our faith, to add to it. And there's a really rich and wonderful picture here of something that happened in the ancient Roman world with this word add. This family of words referred to a rich patron or a, or a benefactor who would take of his own wealth and personally fund a huge theatrical presentation for his city. Or maybe give of his wealth to make this grand public celebration and put all that together, including preparing everything it would take to bring a grand chorus together. In fact, our English word chorus derives from this family of Greek words. And if you think about a chorus, you have different voices, maybe singing different notes, but they all work together, right? It doesn't sound like they're yelling at each other or, or doing different things or contrasting one another. It, it all comes together. Landon recently had his very first sixth grade band concert, and I was impressed. They were good. They really were. And Landon said it's cool playing with the whole band and hearing how it sounds when it all comes together. And I thought, that's, that's exactly what we're seeing here with this word. That's what we want in our lives. We should view the growth of our Christian character as if we're this wealthy person who supplies whatever it takes to put this grand celebration together because God's already given us everything. And it should all work together in concert. So this not only demands the growth of our Christian character, but maybe there's even this idea that these characteristics work in concert with one another. And as we read this list, surely that's true. These characteristics don't fight against one another. They do work together. They're playing the same song. And so before we look at these individual characteristics and sort of pick them out, just say something real quick about the list as a whole. Some view this as a step-by-step -step sort of progression type thing, and uh, that may work here almost like a chain where you just add links together. Uh, again, that, that may work here. I don't know how rigid we want to be with that, though, because there's other lists in the New Testament of spiritual fruits and traits that aren't exactly the same as Peter's here, and I think maybe we miss it if, we, if we're that rigid with it. Um, for example... If you remember the list in Galatians chapter 5 of the fruits of the Spirit, do you remember what the very first fruit is? It's love. But here, Peter mentions love as the last thing. So do we need to cultivate love first or last? Peter and Paul aren't contradicting one another. We don't have to be that rigid when we're looking at a list like this. You say, my goodness, Peter didn't even mention goodness and gentleness and meekness and... 
Are we not supposed to add those things to our faith? Yes, but Peter picked out some very important things that supplement one another, and they should just be piled together. So let's look at these. Upon faith, he said, add virtue. Virtue was sort of a, a, a big comprehensive word that referred to excellence of any kind. Some of you may have a translation that says excellence. This word was used by Greek philosophers to describe something that fulfilled its purpose. Isn't that a pretty fascinating way to think about this word? If we possess virtue, we're fulfilling our purpose for God. In fact, if you look at the end of verse 3, this is the exact word Peter used to describe Jesus Christ, that he had called us by glory and virtue. It's that same word. So as we develop, or as God develops our Christian character, it should make us more like Christ. Fulfilling our purpose for the Lord, just as Jesus fulfilled the purpose he was here. Upon virtue, we should add knowledge. This word knowledge is not the same intense form of the word we saw last week about the richer, fuller knowledge, but it's from that same root word, and it still refers to knowledge. And if you wonder what type of knowledge Peter's talking about, what do I need to know? Well, he's already told us several times. Look at verse 2 at the very end of the verse, that grace and peace will be multiplied through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Look at the end of verse 3, that he called us through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So the knowledge that Peter's talking about here is the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that knowledge comes through God's word, not the words of false teachers. And isn't that the direction Peter's heading? We know in chapter 2 he's going to talk a whole lot about false teachers. Towards the end of chapter 1, he's going to urge us to cling to God's word because false teaching exists. If there were no false teaching, things would be a lot different. So we need to grow in the knowledge of God and His Son, grow in the knowledge of truth because it will guard against error. And if you look at this list of, of traits or characteristics, doesn't knowledge seem to stick out as being different from the others? I, I mean, really, virtue, temperance, patience, love, those, those things are these just character traits that seem to change the way how you act or the way how you respond to other people. But we don't tend to think of knowledge that way, do we? That's just smarts. Or is it? Consider this, that growing in God's knowledge will change your character. The more we learn about God, the more we learn about Christ, the more we do change the way we treat other people and the way we live. So these other Christian traits must be cultivated alongside of knowledge. You can't remove truth from the equation and then grow to be more fruitful. Knowledge of God is a necessity. I think that should help us see the importance of, of knowledge. If we want to be more fruitful, if we want to grow in our maturity, 
It's going to take growing in knowledge, which is a big part of this whole letter. If you look in verse 6, upon our knowledge we should stack temperance or self-control. This word has the idea just of being uh, a master over something, having dominion over it. And it was a prized characteristic in the ancient Greek world. The philosophers loved it when someone had self-mastery over his or her desires. The difference, though, is that as Christians, we don't have self-mastery, so to speak, but as we submit to Christ, we are no longer bound to follow our sinful desires anymore. Not because of our power, but because Christ has set us free. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been redeemed. And as we submit to God's grace, there is self-control. There is restraint and temperance. And this may be a direct refute of some things the false teachers said and did in their lives. In chapter 2 and verse 14, Peter said the false teachers cannot cease from sin. They cannot cease from sin, and yet we're to have temperance. He said in verse 18 of chapter 2 that these false teachers allure through the lusts of the flesh. That sounds a whole lot like the end of verse 4 that we looked at last week and the corruption of this world through lust. But we've escaped that. So we must add some temperance, some self-control upon temperance. Give all diligence to add patience. You may have a translation that says steadfastness or perseverance or endurance. And those are probably better words than patience here. Because this word does not refer to just some passive sitting around where you don't check your watch all the time. It's more of an active courage. And it, it literally gives the picture of someone who is under a load but they bow up, they bear up, and they endure it. Instead of looking for a way out, instead of being crushed under the weight, they bear up. This is the word James used, and it's what he said develops when trials test your faith and you respond joyfully. It's endurance. And so really, though, along with remaining under the load is the ability to have some foresight and see down the road that if I do persevere, my faith will grow. That's what trials can do, right? They can strengthen and grow your faith. So perseverance involves a little foresight as well. Because why would you persevere if there was no reason to persevere? So we should add this to our faith and to these other things mentioned. And then Peter says to that, we should add godliness. If you were here last week, this is the same word that Peter used in verse 3. And you may remember that it has nothing to do with the word God. But what it means is proper respect or well-directed reverence. 
and absolutely our respect should be towards God. But this wasn't strictly a religious word. It was used when someone had proper respect for the emperor or for a judge or for family members or for the laws of the land. It's, it's respecting the way things ought to be. So as Christians, when we respect God, first of all and above all else, will that not then in turn overflow to the respect we have for other people, for society, for values that there should be? If you respect God, it's going to change some other things as well for the good. So this is something that must be added. Next, Peter says, we need to supplement this well-directed reverence with some brotherly kindness. Peter used this word in his first letter when he said that we should have unfeigned love for the brethren. Our word Philadelphia comes from this word. And it, it refers to a warm, strong bond of affection between family and friends. The original sense of this word literally meant to treat somebody as one's own people. Do you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ that way? They're my people. We should have a warm, strong affection for one another as if we're family because we are. We have the same Heavenly Father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and there must be this warm bond and affection for one another that's added to our character. But our love doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop in, in these walls. It's not limited here because finally, Peter says, and to brotherly kindness... Charity or love. And it's a different word than brotherly kindness here. So while the brotherly kindness sort of points to the family-like affection we should have for one another, this word is not limited to a family. Sometimes it's described as that sacrificial love that we should have towards everyone. Jesus even used this word when he commanded us to love our enemies. We may not have the family bond, but we can still make the choice to love. Say, love, love's a feeling, Brother Matt. It's not a choice. I beg to differ. Love is a choice. It is a judgment. It's a matter of the will. It's where you make an exercise decision to put the needs of someone else ahead of your own that you look out for their well-being and do whatever you can to help them, encourage them, teach them, care for them, support them, whatever it may be, even if it hurts you. Even if there's no way they can pay you back. Even if they're sorry and don't deserve it. Because isn't that what God did for us? God saw our need, and even though we're sorry and don't deserve it, He sent Jesus anyway. He didn't just say, I love you. He showed it through His actions. 
He proved it. Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. The first John said, don't just love in word, but in deed and action. It doesn't mean that love is void of emotion. But love is action. Actions mean choices. Be thankful God made the choice to love sinners. And he desires, in fact, he commands us to add that same sacrificial love that he has for us to our Christian character. As we listen to this symphony of spiritual qualities, if, if you thought of times in your life where, you know, I think I did that. I think I did that once. I think I showed love to that person that one time. I think I was pretty temperate that one time. That's good. But verse 8 takes it a little bit further. And verse 8 teaches us that this is more than simply being able to pick out an isolated event in your life and saying, you know, I think I demonstrated that quality then. Notice in verse 8, these need to be in you or with you. Some say they need to be yours. It's almost like an ownership uh, sort of thing. And notice this next phrase, they need to abound. Some of you have a translation that says they need to be increasing. This word for abound or increasing is actually related to the word for being covetous. Isn't that sort of strange? It's not that this is a negative thing here in verse 8, but it helps us understand the idea. When someone is covetous, what do they want? More. More and more. They're never satisfied. They want more and more and more. And our desire with these Christian characteristics should be more and more and more. They need to continually be increasing. It's not just one time seven years ago I showed some self-restraint. It needs to continually grow. So if you display love one day, you're not finished with it. You don't get to check the box and say, whew, I've arrived now. Got that out of the way. Now I can move on with my life. And that's not meant to be discouraging. Oh, man, I've got to just keep on growing. It should be encouraging to know that you truly have your entire lifetime to serve God. We don't ever get to a point where we sit back and say, well, I guess that's it. As far as I can go. Isn't that awesome? If you read Philippians chapter 3, you'll learn where the apostle Paul didn't even feel like he had made it yet. He didn't even feel like he had arrived. He was still pressing on, he said. We don't want this symphony to play just one song. We want our entire lives to be a concert that constantly crescendos, increasing, growing, 
more. I want more, more, more. So that we're not barren or unfruitful. You see this word barren in verse 8? It's the same word that James used when he said faith without works is dead. It's barren. It means it's useless. It's, it's inactive. It's lazy. It's idle. It's, what's the point? It's really a word that means the opposite of energy. Which is kind of funny because we should be pouring all of our energy into being fruitful servants for God. As that happens and as we allow God's Spirit to produce these fruits and, and cultivate this character, we're not barren. We're not useless. We're not unfruitful. And look at the end of verse 8. Here's that word again. Knowledge. And this is the rich, full knowledge word. We're not unfruitful in the fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ. The more we learn about Christ and what he did for us, the more fruitful we'll want to be. The more we know about Jesus, the more we want to be like him. The more we understand of how God gave everything for our redemption, the more we'll desire to give our best back to him. Brother Moreno was here with us Wednesday night. And he preached a great message from John chapter 9 about the man who was born blind. I told him, you didn't know it, Brother Moreno, but that's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Jesus healed that man. And Jesus said that he was born that way so that the works of God might be manifest in him. And Brother Reuben challenged us and he asked, if we are manifesting the works of God in our lives... Well, here in 2 Peter, here's part of what that looks like. Are you bringing maximum effort to the table that God has already prepared so that these fruitful, productive virtues are added to your faith so that the works of God are manifest in your life? For God's glory. I hate to tell you, but Christian character is not developed through laziness. Maybe I don't really hate to tell you, but it's going to be, it's going to be hard work. All effort. It's worth it. It's so worth it to be a fruitful servant of God. It's not hard work that we take credit for. It's hard work that only matters because God's grace has already been poured into our lives. How sad and tragic would it be to live a barren and unfruitful life for the God who gave you His? Would you stand? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. And I pray that we will follow Peter's command, Lord, to supplement our faith with these other virtues, with our effort, because of your strength and what you've already done for us. Father, if there's someone here today who's lost, we pray for their salvation before it's too late.
And we just thank you so much for the time to be together and worship you and fellowship around your word. Help us to be more fruitful for you every day, Lord. Be with this church. Help us to be a light in this community. And Lord, we pray that everything we do brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray you were encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats, as well as our website at northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.